I'm Molly Wansall. And I'm Geoffrey Wansall. And for the last 16 years or thereabouts, we have been having lunch every Saturday and often our conversation turns to murder. And that's what's prompted us to launch this true crime podcast called Blood Ties. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Blood Ties podcast. I'm Molly Wansall and I'm here with my father, Geoffrey Wansall. Hello everyone, welcome back. We've missed you. It's been a, a little while. I hope you've had a bit of a holiday or a bit of a rest. Yeah. Damp summer. A bit of a damp summer in England anyway. Uh, perhaps it's going to perk up. Meant to be 25 degrees this week or something, isn't it? Yes, well, I'm, I'll believe that when I see it. Um, what have I done? I've done, did some, a crime con book club. Um, I've, we're supposed to mention The Seven Ages of Death by Dr. Richard Shepherd, which you asked us to mention before. And I got a note from the publishers saying it's very, very good. It's the second of his books. He's a forensic pathologist. Uh, yes. And that he's represented by my company. Yeah, that one there. Yeah. 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 Looks good. It is very good. I have dipped into it. I haven't read it all yet, but I have dipped into it. And it's very good. I've read a, I've read several very, very good books, including the new Stephen King. Nobody ne- needs to tell you that Stephen King is a bestseller. Also one of the greatest storytellers of our generation. But the latest book called Billy Summers, which is just beside Molly, um, is a wonderful, uh, it's a tour de force really. It's a, it's a tour de force on one of the oldest themes of noir, um, the one last job story. This is a professional sniper trained in the army and takes on one last job. And of course, it turns out to be much more complicated. And it's got all those wonderful, the last job syndrome, but it's a twist on it. And it's beautifully done. I mean, just beautifully done. He realizes, of course, that he actually likes people. And previously, he's not been allowed himself to actually meet anybody. Well, now he has to kill, David, he still has to kill people. Well, he he just has this one last person who's very nasty. I'm not not saying that he's not, uh, he's extremely nasty. but it's it's a it's a fascinating description of uh, the, the psychopathology of a hitman. Sounds excellent. It is. It is very very good indeed. Well, I one of the things that returning has happened to, and has prompted me to suggest doing the story we're going to do today is that a, a, a police search for the missing. Claudia Lawrence. Is that what we're doing today? That's what we're doing today. What's, what are we calling this? I think we're calling it The Disappearance of Claudia Lawrence. Okay, so here we go with The Disappearance of Claudia Lawrence. If you're familiar with the case, it will remains one of the most intriguing and in utterly unsolved mysteries of recent crime. Claudia Lawrence was a 35-year-old chef who worked at the University of York, Goodrick College. Uh, She was born in Malton in North Yorkshire in 1974, and she had an older sister called Ali. Her mum was called Joan, was rather upstanding. In fact, she'd been a mayor. It was one of those, you elect the mayor for a year. And her father, Peter, was a very respectable country solicitor. It's got, it 
There is no, there's no trace of complications in the background, uh, but we'll come back to that. Claudia was obviously clever. She was quite a good chef. Originally, she worked in all sorts of hotels and restaurants in York, but she decided she didn't like the antisocial hours. And so she wanted to get a job that had a sort of fixed span. I mean, chefing is very antisocial. Yeah, it is. And anyway, this one at Goodrick College um, meant she started at six o'clock in the morning and finished at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And one of her favorite things, she was a bit of a, uh, she liked going to the pub. Um, <laughs> anyway, she liked to have a sort of a good time. And, but as far as anybody knew, uh, as far as certainly as far as her parents knew, she was a respectable, upright, interesting, gregarious woman. Uh, the truth is probably more complex than that. But that's how it appears. So let's deal with the disappearance first. It is on the day of the 18th of March, Wednesday the 18th of March 2009, Claudia does her shift at Goodrick College, finishing at 2 p.m. She starts at 6, finishing at 2. She walks home. She's bought a little cottage in a suburb outside York called Heworth. I'm sure I've pronounced that appallingly for the Yorkshire folk. I apologise. Um, anyway, it's a nice little cottage and it takes her... She has to walk because her car is in the shop. It's got a problem. So she walks back and uh, she's you know, chatting away. She goes home. Uh, she calls her mum and dad on her mobile. She seems, according to both of them, normal, cheerful, um, relaxed. Well, yes, she did. The following morning, she's due back at her sh to start her shift the following morning at 6 a.m. She actually leaves the house, we think, at 5 a.m. to walk the three miles to the uh, to, to York Goodrick College. It's dark. Yeah, yeah, the clocks haven't gone forward yet. It's it's a perfectly ordinary March day. The last time she sent a text from her mobile was 8.23pm on the Wednesday evening. And the last uh, incoming text was at 9.12 p.m. the previous evening. So there's no there's no traffic on her mobile phone in the morning of Thursday the 19th of March. She's due to get to college at 6 a.m. but she doesn't show up. Uh, she was also supposed to meet a friend called Susie Cooper that evening in the King's Head pub. But again, she doesn't show up. Now, Susie tries to contact her. Of course, tries on mobile, no success. Tries again on the Friday morning, the 21st. Again, no success. Sorry, fr Friday the 20th, I beg your pardon. She contacts a series of friends, including the 
publican, the landlord of the local pub to uh, Claudia, the, the, the nag's head in Heworth, and also contacts her dad, Peter. And on the Friday morning, Peter goes to Claudia's cottage, terrace, little terrace cottage, with the key he's got, and lets himself in. Her handbags there, her purses there, her bank cards are there, her passports there, but the knapsack, you know, she has a rucksack which she normally wears to take in, including her obviously her chef's costume and things like that, which is clearly taken with her. The bed's been made, but there are some uh, crockery and uh, mugs in the sink, so she's clearly made herself some breakfast. Walked out of the door and disappeared into thin air. Peter, of course, calls the police and the police turn up. They don't take this very seriously. I mean, this is a 35-year-old woman who knows perfectly well her own mind. She's... uh, They don't regard her as vulnerable. We're not talking about the disappearance of a 12-year-old child. We're talking about a grown woman with her own life. Um, but they do, they, it'll be fair to the North Yorkshire Police, they do all the, the classic things. They, they check if they've got any CCTV on the route she would have walked to. Uh, there is one bit of CCTV, but she could have taken a parallel route and thereby avoided it. We, it, it she doesn't show up on any of the CCTV. Well, for quite a long time, a matter of weeks, She's regarded simply as another missing person. And, well, you and I could recite the the explanations. Um, uh, She decided to take a new life and uh, put the past behind her and uh, disappear. That didn't seem like that was something she wanted to do, did it? It didn't, I agree. Um, After all, the missing persons in Yorkshire Police deal with about 3,000 a year. So... um, then there was an accident or medical emergency. She might have... So the, all the calls, the local hospitals, all of that, all done. No real strength to that theory. Then there's the chance encounter with a serial killer theory. Um, you know, she runs into the like of, likes of Levi Belfield, for example. The random killer theory. Right. Again, not very convincing as that particularly rural part outside York is not natural habitat to uh, serial killers monsters and the last one you think serial killing's harder now anyway I do yes that's a that's a very good subject Mm. Um, and the last one of course is that she was the victim of someone she knew and now the story gets a little more complicated it turns out that Claudia Lawrence had what you might describe as a dark side. She mm. had a lot of relationships, many of them with married men. She was very discreet about it, and she, her parents certainly didn't know about it. She also had a number of relationships in the local pub, but again, she was extremely discreet about it. You could say that she had a secret life, and I think that would be fair. She was very attractive. If you, again, look her up uh, on your uh, phone, she's attractive. She changed her hair colour quite regularly, as far as I understand it. 
She was uh, outgoing, gregarious, and attractive. There can be no doubt about that. Um, Sorry? No, I'm just um, wondering how complicated it is to um, hide a whole secret life. Well, I think, again, this is not something I'm expert at, but something you would know about. Um, What's that? <laughs> covert relationships. Why would I? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm have knowledge about covert relationships. Well, we've got more knowledge of it than I probably have. Mm. Um, she went on holiday to Cyprus quite a lot, and discovered that she might want to work there. Um, Are you I saying she had covert relationships in Cyprus? Yes. Right. Yes. Um, Gradually, the, the senior investigating officer on this case turns it into a suspected murder and points out that she had what, they, what he said was later called awkward and sometimes difficult relationships with her lover's partners, suggesting, for example, that if she had a married lover, her, his partner might take objection, take exception to it. Nothing was ever proved. This is all simply speculation. Nothing was and, ever... But did any of these gentlemen come forward? No. Were they... So, so they, but we must have found out who they Well, were. no, they didn't find them all, I don't think. Well, I mean, when people started asking about... When the police started asking about her, then they were like, oh, yeah, in the local pub, they were like, oh, yeah, she... Yeah. I mean, everybody actually knows these things. They can't be that secret. No, I, I accept that. But there's another little evidential pointer. The mobile phone that Claudia had with her when she left the house that morning was still on at 10 past noon, 12.10. The day she went missing. The day she went missing when it was deliberately switched off. So she should have been at the, she should have been at work at six AM. The phone is still active and it's deliberately switched on oh. six hours like switched off six hours later. Okay, so now did she switch it off? Did someone switch it off? We don't know. All we do know is that for all intents and purposes Claudia Lawrence disappeared into thin air. The police at one time, all compliments to North Yorkshire police, they sent officers to Cyprus to investigate whether or not she might have run off there or met somebody there. Or They investigated all the, quotes relationships that they could, but drew a blank. The case went cold. Peter, her father... A, a man who was devoted to her. I mean, ran a campaign, uh, crime stoppers offered £10,000. There were appeals on television, Crime Watch. Absolutely nothing. Uh, it's as if she'd just been swallowed up. In 2013, four years after Claudia disappeared, North Yorkshire Police launch a major crime unit, partly to investigate unsolved crimes, of which one of the most significant 
is, of course, the disappearance and presumed murder of Claudia Lawrence. Do they have a lot of unsolved crime in North Yorkshire? Well, I think they probably have a good, a good number. Most places do. They try new DNA tests. They try new tests on. It was a, a a cigarette butt was found in the well of her car, which had been in the shop, but that wasn't traceable to anybody. Um, they they did all kinds of new fingerprint tests. On the fifth anniversary of her disappearance in March 2014, there's a new appeal, a new crime watch. And CCTV shows a Ford Focus, a silver Ford Focus, well, apparently stopping outside Claudia's cottage, or at least the brake lights come on. The CCTV isn't clear. It hasn't got a hole spread. So all you've got is straws, straws in the wind all the time. Uh, her sister... Ali makes an appeal. Um, I think, I think the family thought, at least for a time, that it was probably a jealous partner of one of her lovers. But I don't think that now. I don't think that holds up. Um, there were a great. There was a great commotion about the fact that Peter wanted the law changed so that he could. He could be nominated to look after his daughter's bank accounts and, in fact, managed to get a change in the law. If you go missing, there's now oh, yeah. something called, Cla Cla called Claudia's Law, which means that if you're missing, you know, your next of kin or your relatives can actually... And she hadn't done anything like withdraw all her money? No, nope. Nope. none of that. No flights booked? No flights booked, no ATMs uh, raided, no collecting hundreds of pounds in cash. I feel like the running off to start a new life thing is very unlikely. I think that's true too. I think surely someone, or like, you know, sometimes on like Jonathan Creek where you think something awful's happened but actually someone's just like fallen down a well. It's possible. Well, this to be fair to the, again, to be fair to the North Yorkshire police, a number of arrests are made, um, including a work colleague, at, at uh, Goodrick College and including a publican in York, not the Hayworth pub, a pub in York itself. These are presumably men that she has had relationships presumably, with. Presumably, presumably. In fact, altogether, nine arrests have been made, but no one has ever been charged. Nothing, four men... Nothing conclusive. Four men in the local pub in Hayworth, or Hayworth, uh, were arrested and the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service refused to go ahead with any kind of prosecution because they said there was insufficient evidence mm. now was this was this a maybe they all got together and did it and they found well, out she was sleeping with all of them that's not so funny because Sky News' northern correspondent the admirable Gerald Tubb did a piece on the 5th anniversary in which he said I have never met so much silence. I've not been threatened once, but twice, to keep my nose out of this story. Mm. I reckon everybody knew what was going on. All that thing about, like, oh, she was secretly sleeping with every like other people. Like, people know. Well, 
If they and, they, and and if everybody makes a decision to say nothing in those close communities. Yep. Not dissimilar to the lady. No, slightly different. Um so yeah, that could be could be it. Well, let's put it this way. In in some ways it's it's the classic cover up, isn't it? We're all in on it, but we're all silent. We're all silent. Now and like murder on the Orient Express, yes. they're all jointly responsible. They're all jointly responsible. It, it had that Agatha Christie feel, doesn't it? Mm. Um, Peter, her father, uh, campaigned relentlessly, only to die in February this year at the age of 74, without ever having found what happened to his daughter. One of the undisclosed elements of this story which has been hinted at but never actually gone into in any depth anyway, is the nature of the divorce between Peter and his wife Joan, Claudia's parents. By some accounts it was acrimonious, but I have no idea. It's simply, it's often hinted at but never really talked about. Because he was regarded as a very upright, you know, country solicitor. When did they get divorced? <laughs> that's a, that's a very good question. Now, Mother Joan is still with us, and indeed, when the North Yorkshire Police in August 2021 announced they were going to search a gravel pit eight miles from York, it's called Sand Hutton Gravel Pits, and they were going to go and they were going to drain it. You're not surprisingly, Joan was very, very upset. So this is very churning, and I, what, they haven't told me what they're doing, it, and they haven't said what new information they've got. As we speak, that drainage is still going on, and there are divers in the looking. But as you and I have said to each other many, many times, you know, it's like looking for West's bodies. Where are they? You know, you could dig up half of Yorkshire, and never know, never find anything. So, am I certain that there is a firm clue here I think the police are to some extent hoping they found something and it's a lot of trouble to go to I mean they're going through the whole fingertip search the divers the, the whole works they must have something they feel it's worth pursuing it's worth digging it all up for yeah uh, but so far and we're now into September and they've been searching for best part of two weeks bit like um under the cafe mary bust home no one was in under Gloucester. the cafe no one was under the cafe probably no one's going to be in the gravel pit mm. but joan claudia's mum has long insisted that they should look at and question christopher halliwell you remember the man who killed the the, the smirking cab driver Oh, yeah, I remember him. Now, the the senior investigating officer on that case always insisted that he thought Halliwell was good for Claudia Lawrence. It has been persistently denied by North Yorkshire police. And he himself, of course, was di discredited because of the false confession Halliwell gave. Um, is Halliwell capable of it? No question. Claudia was certainly his type. But it's a long... Well, there was also a suggestion that he had relatives in the area, in that part of North Yorkshire. Again, 
no conclusive evidence. The mother has made another statement recently saying you really should question Christopher Halliwell. Perhaps they should, perhaps they shouldn't. <laughs> the one thing I know from this case, which I find fascinating really, is that there are no leads, no leads anywhere. Yeah. None. It's literally as though someone swept her up into a spaceship. You know, it could have been aliens. It could be anybody. Or equally, it could be the man next door. The man next door in the pub. Or three men in the pub. Or five men in the pub. Or who knows? I think there are two significant issues in here. One is the, quotes disappearance of a mature woman, you know, 35-year-old chef, who has a life. It's probably not going to be taken all that seriously, at least to start with. And probably wouldn't have been taken as seriously as it was had it not been for Peter Lawrence's persistence. And the second is that so many lives contain so many secrets. I think hers was a particularly significant set of secrets, but there were obviously a lot of them. And when I was looking back over this case again, it's as if... There are a lot of dark undercurrents to the story. The locals won't talk about it. Um, journalists are warned off. There have been nine arrests, but no one has ever been charged. It's, it's one of those ones. It's like Susie Lamplew, or it's like Jill Dando. You know, it's in that group mm. of people that you simply don't know and all you know is that you've got pictures on the television screen of officers doing searches in you know jungly undergrowth outside about eight miles outside york but you don't know anything else at all i mean this is just quite extraordinary mm. and here she is this vibrant gregarious obviously very attractive woman who poof gone in an instant and I, I, I still find it a, a truly fascinating story. You've got a thing for the disappeared, haven't you? I have a thing for disappearances, yeah. yes. Um, I mean, I'm not denying for one moment that she may have had issues with her mum and dad. I'm not denying for one moment that she might well have had you know, a secretive side. Were her perhaps a parents a bit too straight-laced for her I don't know I mean she clearly liked her own life um, it's it's troubling because if ever anyone deserved closure how often we talked about this you know uh, Peter Lawrence did he he really deserved to know what had happened to his daughter but it remains, and to me, one of the most fascinating of the contemporary crime stories because it literally defies judge rational judgment. You know, it, there is no... Someone knows something, I completely agree with you. Someone must know something. But no one's saying anything. But no one's saying anything. Mm. And... That makes it, in a way, quite chilling. You know, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Um, it's a very odd one. It is an odd one. 
And yes, fingers have been pointed at X and Y, and we, we, you and I could list number of murderers who've been suspected of other crimes. You know, he, he could have done it or he was capable of doing it. But there are no firm links at all. And it's it lingers in my memory because I feel so strongly, and as I've said to you before, you know, it's just like Helen McCourt's mother. You know, it's just like Peter Lawrence. You know, your daughter go disappears, and in, in Helen McCourt's case, a man, Ian Sim, a publican, surprisingly, is arrested and indeed jailed for it, but he won't reveal where the body is. And that, those sorts of things, it seems to me, heighten the pain mm. for the, for the, the survivors. Yeah, absolutely. Not knowing is the worst, isn't it? It's worse than anything. You you can't you can't even. Because you probably just go over and over in your head all the different scenarios all the time and you worry, you know, did she suffer? Yep. You know. What, what on happened? earth happened? How did it happen? Yeah. Where is she? I mean, you've got... It is a very strange case because if you look at other disappearances, I mean, if you talk about the Soa murders, they, the bodies were found remarkably quickly. You know, the Huntley killings. Yeah, I know. Still horrendous, though. Yeah. Um, well, on that cheery note. Oh, well, I'm sorry, but <laughs> we'll no, talk no. about something cheerful in a moment. No, but. absolutely. But it is incredibly sad. But very good to to um, hear about if our computer hasn't just died. Yes. No, I mean, that's what I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those wonderful mysteries that just haunt you and it's true and they're as we speak they're still draining still and searching. searching the sand hutton gravel pits outside well, york that is the disappearance of claudia lawrence yes thanks dad talking of um parents Yep. Trying to seek out answers. I've started your book you gave me, mm-hmm. uh, Razor Blade Tears. Oh, yes. Which I do think is very good, but it suddenly got very violent. Yes, <laughs> it I'm gets very, very violent. At, I'm not very good at very violent. Mm. Like, it's really violent. It is. Yeah. It is. But mm. it's a wonderful story. Yeah, it's really well written. It's, these I, two. I, can't, I can't see it ending well. But I'm not going to spoil no, it. No, we'll, I will find out. But I, it, it, all I would say is that the, the proposition that these two ex-cons um, who are so upset that their sons have married each other mm. and then get killed in the street mm. is, is just such a strong setup. And, and, the, and the way it works, the relationship between the two men mm. is so funny and at the same time so true. Yeah, it's good. Um because they don't really like each other very much, but no. in a sense they've got to stick up, put up with one another. It's uh, yeah, it's very clever. It's only his second book too. Oh, really? I reviewed the first as well, but that one I thought was just splendid. Yeah, it was very good. A really, really good one. I'm reading a, a very, very good um, crime novel. I've nearly finished it. Um, by a Canadian called Louise Penny, called The Madness of Crowds, which is 
fascinating because it has an interesting proposition. It's a post-pandemic crime story. Oh, clever. In which a statistician has suggested that the easiest way to protect ourselves from pandemics is to cull all the old people and children who are not particularly good or they've got Down syndrome or they've got... And then, of course, the series of murders starts because she becomes, you know, a personality and there's a riot starts and there's shooting. And, it's a, and it also features one of my favourite fictional detective detectives, uh, Chief Inspector Gamache of the Quebec Sûreté. And it, he's very, very good. This, he's appeared in many of her novels. But this is particularly good because it asks us a lot of really complicated questions. There's nothing wrong with her analysis. Yeah. But is that what we is that the road we actually want to go down? No, I can categorically tell you no. Well, I, I, all I'm saying is that there are some people who do feel that, that is the road to go down. In other words, why don't we just let it let the COVID rip through the care homes? We can't afford social care anyway, so I think that's a discussion for another time. I think it's but a discussion for another programme. But, but, but the book sounds very interesting. It, 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 is, it is very interesting because it, it asks a lot of quite complicated moral questions. And it's also, incidentally, got a fantastic mystery in the, in a, in the heart of it. Mm, really good. Yeah, it's good. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. What are you doing this week? Something exciting? Uh, I'm going to see Anything Goes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's, well, it's a lovely show, isn't mm. it? Oh, it's a lovely show. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's my big news. Well, I'm rehearsing. Oh, yeah. We haven't told the listeners. Oh, we're going to CrimeCon. Yes, we're going to CrimeCon, but I'm not rehearsing for CrimeCon. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're just doing that one with no rehearsal. I'm <laughs> just doing that one straight. Winging it. Winging it. No, he's never winging it. He's always prepared, people. Always. Um, we're going to CrimeCon in three weeks. Two weeks? Three. Not this weekend, not next weekend, but the one after. No, no the one after the one that. after that. Yeah. Um, so be there or be square. Yes, do come and see us if you do go there. If I you're there, come and say hi. I shall be sat on my own on podcast row for two days straight. No, you won't. Because no, Jeffrey's doing so many other things. No, you won't. You absolutely not. Um, you can go and get the food and drink, and I'll sit there. I think we should. I feel like the, we should probably just bring a picnic. I feel like we should approach it as if we're going to Lords. I think that's a good idea. Excellent. That's the only way to do it. Um, all right. Very good. Thank you to all the people that help us. Our producer Sam Brain, my brother Dan, who did the music, my friend George, who drew our caricature, to Audio Boom for hosting us, um, to Jeffrey for all the hard work, and to the listeners. Uh, thank you, and lovely to be back. It is lovely to be back, and it's very nice to be back with you, Mo. It's great to be here together again. Yeah. And and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for me to do exactly what we've done in the last few months because I am getting a bit busy. A bit busy. But we'll explain it all in the next podcast. Yeah. Um, that is the one after this one. <laughs> um, as, as I always say, like Claudia Lawrence... Bad things can happen to good people, so please do be careful out there.